Turn your Bible, Genesis 11. Genesis chapter number 11 and 12. We'll be looking at some verses tonight. I don't know how far we'll get. I just decided I'm not going to be in a big hurry where we're going. We're just going to study the Bible. Where we quit, we'll pick it back up. Amen? Well, we're talking now, though, about Abraham, the man of faith. Now, the text kind of blanks out the reason for the decreasing lifespan of the people in the Bible that is mentioned before him uh, after the flood. After the flood, of course, before the flood, they were living to be unbelievably. Uh, it was just unbelievable how long people lived. Uh, but after the flood, they uh, are fact sad. In chapter 11, verse 13, he was 438 years old. Then we move all the way back down the line to Abraham, and he was 175 years old. Chapter 25, verse 7 tells us. And then we move to Jacob. We're still going down. He's 147 years old. That's in chapter 47, verse number 28. And then we move to Joseph. Poor Joseph didn't have much of a life. He lived only 110 years. And that was it, 110 years. That's in chapter 50, verse 22. And so by the time Moses comes on the scene, people are living to be 70 and 80. That's, that's it. In fact, uh, we find in the scriptures that someone elderly would be 80. In fact, Psalm 90 tells us uh, that if you get 70 years, that's great. If God gives you 10 more, he said, that is more grace, but they'll be full of trouble and sorrow. So, folks, we're not here to try to stay longer. We're here to prepare to go yonder. Y'all okay with that? So, let's look tonight at Abraham. I'm just going to brush where I was, and then we'll pick up some new things tonight. If there's one man in the Bible that we believe is synonymous with faith, it is Abraham. He was a man of faith. Let me tell you something else the Bible said about Abraham. He was a friend of God. A friend of God. Now, folks, listen, that is a, that's a tremendous statement he made, a friend of God. He don't throw that word around loosely, but he calls Abraham a friend of God, and Abraham believed God. When we get to the New Testament, Abraham is the person that is used by the Apostle Paul and the writer of Hebrews to tell us that Abraham was the father of our faith, okay? That's where he led us. So, we looked at some of the, uh, first of all, God's selection of faith. And so, now we forget all those other people, okay? All those other lines that we've mentioned. We, we had the sons of Ham, the sons of Japheth, but then there's the sons of Sham. That's where God picks it back up and he moves along or uh, as he tries to... Uh, Push his seed line in the minds of the people. God has a plan to bring along a seed line. It's a messianic seed line. And through that seed line is coming Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is going to die for our sins, going to send to heaven. And if we believe on him, we can be saved the same way Abraham was. 
Now, if you say, why is that important? Because when you get to the New Testament and somebody wants to argue with you about the New Testament and, and they want to tell you, well, you know, these names could apply to anybody. Well, I want you to look, don't look there now, but just write down Luke chapter 3, verse 23, 38, and Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 16, and you'll see this same lineage as it goes backwards. Those same names are there. And you know what lineage they're in? Jesus. Jesus. So that's why these things is so important in the book of Genesis. So when you get a little bit further, you understand them a little bit more. Uh, so we, we looked at some of those names. Secondly, we looked at Abraham's start of faith. And it's in chapter 12. So flip over chapter 12. That's where we'll spend the remaining part of our night probably tonight. Chapter number 12, the second thing we see is Abraham's start of faith. This is where God calls him to faith. It was a personal call. What does Abraham mean? Remember last week? Exalted father, right? But God changed his name from, or Abram means exalted father, and God changed his name to Abraham, which means what? Father of multitude, right? Father of multitude. So, why would God do that? Because he's made a promise. He's going to make a promise that he's going to be the father of a multitude, and he's already an old man. He's already bouncing up near 100, and God's promised him he's going to be a father of a multitude. So God calls him in verse number 1, and Abraham had to be listening if God called him, and he went. You just don't walk along and say, you know, I think I'll go over into the promised land. You know, you don't do that. God called him. Y'all okay? God called him. So it was a personal call. If you want God to speak to you, there's something you have called volition. That means your will. And if your will is for God to speak to you, guess what? He'll speak to you. He'll speak to you. John 6, 44 and 45 says that he teaches all men. He wants every person to be spoken to. And so there's the personal call of a, basically a man who lived in such a pagan society that they'd never heard of such thing as a God who could talk. But here was a God who spoke. And Abraham listened. And so God told him, as it was a parting call, get thee out of thy country. So Abraham had to be leaving. He had to be leaving. He was a success in his business he was happily married to a beautiful, hot-looking woman. That's what the Bible says. And it was a very close family. All of, the, all of his family was tightly knit. They had been great successes in whatever they did. They, they were in the most highly civilized area in the whole world at that particular time. And it actually became a city of luxury. And Abraham is called by God, you leave this city of luxury, you leave your success, and you go where I'll tell you to go. He didn't even know where he's going. Had not a clue where he's going. But God said, leave, leave. Now, the city of Ur is where today we would call southern Iraq. It was, in that day, it became a luxurious type of city. And that's probably all Abraham had ever known. But it was a pagan city. 
They worshiped idols and that everything was about idolatry. And he had to leave his country, but know something else. He has to leave his kindred, has to leave his father, and he has to leave that close family way that they had. And you can look in Joshua chapter 24, verses 2 through 3 and verses 14 through 15 that kind of describes that period as he leaves and then as he's supposed to leave his family. These must kind of, let me just, let me just say this. I, I, I don't think folks are getting this today in our society. About, we, we want folks to be saved for one reason, to make sure they go to heaven. Well, I want folks to go to heaven. I really do. I don't want anybody to go to hell. That's why I preach like I preach. That's why I want to preach like I preach, because I don't want anybody to go to hell. But when you get saved, there's got to be a break from your past. If you want your future to be a fulfillment of God's blessing, you've got to break from your past, because your past stunk. Before God. Maybe not before men, before God. So Abraham leaves his past, breaks away, and takes off to where God would lead him. A fresh start in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, God promises him in verses 2 and 3. said, I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you a great nation. I'm going to make you a great name. And then he said, I'm going to bless you, and then you are going to bless all nations. Pretty cool, isn't it? 100-year-old guy. Not quite 100 yet, but he's, he's bumping it. And so his name is great. It's being, it is honored where people like to believe it or not by three major religions. They just don't know what to call him. He's not Allah. He's not Allah. And I don't think there ought to be a mosque in America. We're one nation under God. I think our forefathers meant one nation under one God. In fact, a lot of our earlier documents says one God. How in the world can we be a nation under one God if we're letting a false God come in and support it? You mark my word, unless Donald Trump turns into something, and I hope he does, before long, we not only will be building Moscow over this country, but the government will pay for them. Y'all didn't like that, did you? But Abraham's decision here, he had to forsake his wealth, his security of Mesopotamia to where he lived. And that's not natural. It's not natural to uproot something that's so comfortable and so luxurious and just leave and not even know where you're going. It's not natural. And so from the human viewpoint, it was far more advantageous to stay where he was. What counsel would you give Abraham if he had come to you and said, you know, God, I mean, just one God, Jehovah God, I, I know you don't know him, but he's told me that, that I need to leave this land. What would you have told him? You're crazy. Yeah. So, but you might have told him that, but they wouldn't have told him that. 
If we'd put you back there about 4,000 years ago, we'd have had a good answer, Terry. But if, if you had been an Ur of the Chaldees, you wouldn't even have known who Jehovah God was. Other than the fact that what God built in you, conscious sake. But uh, he, he, everybody would advise him, hey, you got it made here, boy. God, I mean, uh, the gods is what they would have said, are blessing you. Don't go. Now, we'd all say go, wouldn't we? Like Terry said, we'd all say go. But they'd all say stay. It just looked foolish for them to him leave something that blessed and luxurious. Look at the third thing. Look at his stall of faith in verse number four. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken unto him. Uh-oh. And Lot went with him. Mm-mm, got a problem here. And Abram was 70 and five years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son. Who took him? Abraham. All their substance that they had gathered, the souls that they had gotten, that means the people who worked for them, and they went forth to go into the land of Canaan. To the land of Canaan they came. And Abraham passed through the land into the place of, that word is Sakim. Here is probably the, uh, the place of Shechem in, in, in the Bible. And it, it also, he came into the plain of Moray. The plain of Moray is uh, right at the end of the valley of Megiddo. It's a, it's a beautiful place, the, uh, the, the, the land of Moray. He came and saw that beautiful land there. It, it had to be flowing with milk and honey. It, it was all that God would promise him later on as he looked at there. But God's call came to Abram, and he moved to Haran. But he stopped. He stopped. Look. Abraham departed, his Lord spoken, and Lot went with him, and they departed out of Haran. But they had stopped in Haran. Why? God didn't tell them to go to Haran. He said, I'm going to tell you to go where I tell you to go. And we know what that place was. It was in what we now call the Holy Land, what then was the, called the Promised Land. That's where God was going to take them, but he stopped. He stopped. They journeyed all the way north. We showed you the, the, the route last week on, uh, on the screen. Journeyed all the way north, just about ready to move over into the north part of Canaan and head south all the way through the country to where God wanted him to go. But he stopped short. He stalled out right there. God's call came to Abraham before he moved. I think you can... See that in verse 4, Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him. See, God had already called him. And so he goes to Haran uh, before uh, God's call came to him before he moved to Haran. Let me show you over in chapter 11, verse 31. I think we can see the same thing. And Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran his son's son, and Sarah his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth with them from the Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land of 
Canaan, and they came unto Haran and dwelt there, and the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Why? God didn't tell Terah to go there. He didn't have to leave Ur. But he's like a lot of mamas and daddies and uncles. That, oh, no, that's my baby. I'm good. That's my family. I'm going to follow my family. That's the dumbest thing I ever heard from Christians. Your first family is the family of God. Your next family is your physical family. But the family that's going to do you the most good throughout this life and throughout eternity is God's family. I know you, we all love our families, and, and we should. But listen, they should never take precedence over God's family. Never. And so, uh, it, it is it, Acts chapter 7, when they're preaching over there, and Acts chapter 7 is very, very consistent with what he said. Look, 7 chapter 2, then he said, Many brethren fathers hearken, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran and said to him, Get thee out of the country and from thy kindred. See that? That means your kinfolk. That means that crazy uncle and cousin you got. Not there. There it is. And come into the land which I shall show thee. But he didn't do that. He didn't leave his family. He took them with him. So they stopped short in Haran, stalled out. Because God didn't call the rest of them to go there. He called Abraham to go there because he had a special mission for Abraham. So they stopped and stalled out in Haran because Abraham did not do what God said. You know what the word Haran means? A place of delay. In other words, he was postponing the will of God. He was postponing the call of God. He, he, he stopped and delayed God's will. Now, when you delay God's will, that means you delay God's blessings, right? If you'd say, man, I'm going to do God's will, but I'm not doing it now. Then, but, but, but when I get to the right place in my life, when I kind of get financially organized, or, or, or when I get all my kids straightened out, and I pay for their new houses, and when I get all that done, I'm going to serve God. That's a delay. And when you do that, you delay God's blessings. Hmm. I see that happen every Sunday in our church where people puts their family before God. And you say, well, I don't care what you say. I've even had some people look me in the face. I don't care what you say. I'm, th- I'm going to do what my family wants me to do. Go ahead. But you've got to stand before God. I don't have to stand there for you. You say, when God says not to do something, I think it's a good idea we don't do it. It very well could have been Abraham sharing his newfound faith. Terah and Lot, maybe he led them to the saving faith from their idols. I don't know. We're not sure. I think Lot, for certain, became a believer. We do not know about Terah, but God's promise was for them, but God's promise was not 
in them. Listen to me. God's promise for Abraham and to Abraham was for them and not just them, but for us. But God's promise is not in us. It was in Abraham. The promise was going to come through the body of an old man. So the promise is to us, but it wasn't in us. And so God meant for Abraham to take him and his family, his children, and the uh, things that he had to possess so that they could eat. And he said, you go and leave your kinfolk here. But what happened? They went with him and stopped him probably for 25 years or 20 years, something like that, from going into the promised land stalled God's faith sad blessings were delayed till Terah died and Abraham refused to get involved in his call in another location as long as Terah lived in Haran because he knew if he went on and did God's will he was going against what God said do and Terah had to die but he don't he, he don't stop there, we, you know, and we don't stop there. Listen, we say we believe passages like Luke 14, 26. We say we believe passages like Matthew 10, 37. We say we believe passages like Luke 9, 61 and 62, but we don't act like it or obey them. Let me just read you one. You thought you was going to get by. I just going to go on by that? No way. Noah, look at it. Look at Luke 14, 26. And let me just see. I mean, apply it to your own life. See how, see, see, it's not an easy call. Look, if any man come to me and hate not his father, mother, wife, children, brethren, sisters, and his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Nothing comes before Jesus. Nothing comes before our holy God. We say we believe it, but you let one of our little ones be in something, need something, want something. They're going to pull us out. They want to go here on Sunday. They want to go there on Wednesday night. You know what we do? We take, they take precedence over God. I'm telling you that is disobedience to this command. Our love for Jesus Christ ought to make our love for our family look like hate. That's how, that's how, that's the difference between being in the family of God and being in our physical family. You see, when you're in the family of God, it, it, is, it, it means that we're obeying God. Now, not everybody in the family of God's doing that, but if you're really tight with the Lord Jesus and you're really tight with the Father and the Son and then the Holy Ghost brings you in and makes you tight with him and he gives you those places to say, I want you to love me so far above your family love you wouldn't compromise for nothing. But we break it every week, don't we? Uh, let me give you another. Matthew 10, 37. Look at it. Matthew 10, 37. Uh, let's look at this one. We, we do the same thing Abraham do. We, we delay God's will, so we postpone God's blessings. Look, he that loveth father, mother more than me is not worthy of me. Now, get this. He that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And 
he that taketh not his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. You see, there should be nothing even close to our obedience to Jesus Christ. And if your family's got something going on that would cause you to step just a little bit out of the will of God, who comes first? Jesus. But many times, in fact, in our generation, most of the time, our little, little buddy, our little boys, and our big boys and our big girls and our little girls and our, and our, our, our teenagers and our, and our young adults and, and, and our vacations and our cruises and, our, and everything take us plumb out of the will of God and we leave our places of service for somebody else to do, not who was called to do it because you were, but you're not there because you're taking four and five vacations a year and because you don't have to miss Sunday, you just choose to miss Sunday. Got quiet, didn't it? You see, you know when you do that, what you've done? You've let something be, take the place between you and Jesus Christ. And he said, because of that, you're not even worthy to be called my son. That kind of scares me. So we will disobey God where our family is involved. How many will admit tonight? You don't, I don't want you to raise your hand because it'll probably be most of us here in this congregation tonight. How many of you, though, would, would admit that you have let your family cause you to compromise? You went to churches you shouldn't go to because they did. You've changed what you believe because they did. You've decided to hook up with the family and take these long vacations and the church has never even thought about while you're gone. I don't have any problem with him taking a vacation. I don't think God does. But I do think he has a problem with you taking a vacation from God. I'm not getting very far. I tell you, it's getting quiet in here tonight. Chris, are you going to say amen or what? She, Terry's on one set of word tonight. Okay, thank you, brother. Let's say something loud, you know. But you, th you take our children and our mates and our nephews and our parents can cause us delay in obedience. I can remember, remember well when God called me to preach. Every person in the world thought I was crazy and alone. And then when I decided to go to a little mission church in a storefront building and preach there, there was, I don't know how many, even my own family came and said, you're washed up, you're done, you'll never preach again. I said, that's what God said do. And then when I went into evangelism, they didn't have to tell me. I knew I was going to starve to death then. It was just glorified starvation to be an evangelist. In those days, it was. Now, these evangelists make good money. Uh, churches take good offerings. In my day, if you even got offering, you was blessed. Wouldn't be enough to buy groceries. And so people said, that won't work. You, you, you need to stay here. Got a good thing going here. And I did. I did. I broke that church to ride. Last 18 months I was there, we were just baptizing folks, baptized 59 folks out in the middle of nowhere. God just did a Holy Ghost. In fact, I saw there what I've never seen anywhere else. I saw a revival like I've never seen anywhere else. God got rid of the trash in the church 
and revive those who were frayed in the church. And boy, it never stopped. It kept on going. My last Sunday there, I baptized on Sunday night. But if I'd have listened to a lot of people, I'd have never had that three-and-a-half-year opportunity right there, and I would delayed and postponed God's blessing. I still look back on those days as blessed days. Blessed days. They went through the community trying to vote me out of the church. And every time they would try to vote people out of the church, they would do that. They was a member, but they never came except on a business meeting when they was going to vote the preacher out. And they voted on the preacher every year. Y'all remember that? And Finally, I got up one Sunday, and I said, you make your choice. You ain't going to vote on me no more. You can get the vote on me tonight to stay, or your voting days is over. I'm out of here. I'm not going to stay at a place that holds me over the fire and says, if you do good this year, we'll keep you. If you don't, we're going to let you go. No. And there came some trouble in that church that absolutely eat my guts out. I got threatened several times. While I was there. But I did exactly what I thought God told me to do. And after two years of battling in that church. Finally it came to a head. And I looked around the church that night. And they had been all up and down those hollers and hills. Looking for people in our church. Coming to vote against me. And they wouldn't come because they are scared. They said No. God's done something through him. We ain't going. And when they stood to vote, four, fam- four people, two families stood up. And after that, the glory fell. That's what I want to see happen here. But we've got to get some junk out. And we've got to decide that nothing should come between us and Jesus. Till we make that decision, we'll never see revival. Maybe preacher call, your family's not for you, Sunday school teacher, but, you know, your mate don't want you to go because you know you won't get to sit by her in Sunday school class or you won't get to sit by him. Uh, Listen, God is the one who leads you in those areas. And if you've got a godly mate, they'll be for you, not against you. I, I just, I cannot just, take for granted that the church is meeting tonight and I'm not even a part of it. I just, something about that just hurts me. It's Wednesday night and, and, and I'm not there. It hurts. When I laid in the hospital those four or five times and I think I only missed like three Sundays but trying to crawl up here but just sitting there on Sunday, I thought, this Lord, why, why can't I need to be in church? God wouldn't let me come, but, you know, I was his business. And maybe you needed a break. And some people run for the hills. We ain't seen them since. Do you know what I believe? Lay with all my heart now. I've been praying about this, thinking about this. When I got out of the saddle here, physically, 
and not able to lead this church as the way that I always had with my eye on everything going with my heart and everything that was here. Where I was leading and I knew what was going on when I kind of got a little bit out of the saddle, this church ran away a little bit. Run away a little bit. And I think now that we're going to have to mount back up Pull the reins tight and say, giddy up, we're following Jesus. Oh, yeah, we lost a few people. Well, they left because you preached on politics. No, they left because I believed that there ought not to be homosexuals marrying in the church. They left because I didn't believe in babies being murdered in the womb. That's why they left. They left because whatever their sin was, sooner or later, they knew I was going to get to it. That's when they left. So it's time we get back up on our horse and start. Because in verse 4 through 8, what we're seeing here is Abraham stepping out on faith. He's 75 years old now. 25 wasted years has passed. 25 wasted years. I'll never forget going to a nursing home in, in, in my first church. And, and, and there, was a, there was a big red-headed fellow in my church. He'd been all over the world. He had come back home to that little community where he grew up in. He said he wanted to come back there, live out his last days. And I worked on him. And finally, he just surrendered to God, got everything right with God, got in the church and started serving God and praying for the church and giving to the church. And all of a sudden, he gets cancer and he gets sick and he goes to the hospital and they call him Brother Glenn. He's not going to make it, Jenny. But he is saying, call Brother Glenn, call Brother Glenn, call Brother Glenn. And I did. I went as quick as I could get there. And this is what he pulled me down. He couldn't talk. Pulled me down and said, tell them not to waste their life like I did. I'll never forget that red hair that was turning white. A man who financially was in tremendous shape, who had just about anything he wanted, but for many years he just wasted his life. Every day you're out of the will of God, you miss a blessing. You see, God appears to those who obey the light. Because if you obey the light, God will give you more light. You say, give me a verse for that. Glad you asked. Hosea 6, verse number 3. Look at it and read it. So he was a sojourner. Now here, I'm going to quit. I got to quit. I got, I got six minutes, okay? Actually, I got nine, ten minutes. But I'll let you out early tonight since y'all been such a nice congregation. You didn't say amen a time, but I'm going to let you out anyway. All right. What we're about to see here, and next week I'll come back and, and, and really build on it. He is called in the Bible, Abraham is, a sojourner. Now, a sojourner means that that is one that we would call like a nomad. You know, one who pitched his tent and then when God said move somewhere else, he moved somewhere else. But the sojourner in the Bible meant more when you have a man of faith like Abraham. What he would do, he would pitch his tent, build an altar, and move his membership from that other altar down to this altar. 
That's why God blessed him. Wherever he was building an altar to say, God, I'm moving for you, and I'm going to be living for you wherever I am in that place. So whenever God said, you go here and say, stop, he didn't know where he was going any of the time. He would just go, and God said, stop. And when he said, stop, he pitched his tent. He wasn't going anywhere to God said, go. And he erected him an altar before holy God. And he worshiped the Lord. And I believe his family also worshiped the Lord, like Genesis 18, 19 tells us they did. So the symbol is a tent. They're pilgrims, strangers, and sojourners. Do you know that's what you are? Yeah, Hebrews 11, 13, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 11. We're just pilgrims and strangers down here. No wonder we feel so out of place. This world is not our home. We're just a pilgrim. Some of us just dug our claws in way too deep, haven't we? We ought to have it where we can pull up our tent stakes and go for Jesus. And that's what he's talking about right here. The things that keep us from God. So he pitched a tent, built an altar, moved in worship. So the symbol here of his faith is this tent. He's believing God to stop right there and settle for a little while. But the secret of his faith is this altar. When you see an altar, what, he, what, 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 was, what was on the altars? Sacrifices, right? Now, whether he had sacrifices or not, we do know later on there was a time he's asked to sacrifice his own son. But when he's built an altar, here's what he was saying to God. God, my mate, my children, my cousins, my brothers, my sisters, nobody is going to keep me from being in your will. And I'm building this altar to tell you I love you, Jesus, and I'm going to stay right here till you tell me to go. And while I'm here, I'm going to worship around this altar. So he did. But you'll never find Lot building an altar. Read it. He knelt one time at his uncle's altar, but he never built an altar. Isn't that amazing? So next week, I'm going to talk to you for just a little while on what this altar is for. We have some time tonight. I wonder for somebody, I know these, these is just steps. All it is, three steps, four steps, whatever it is. Depends on how you count, up or down. But when we built this church, you can ask the men that was on the committee. I said, there's one thing we're going to have. We're going to have an altar that goes from one end of the stage to the other end of the stage. I want stair steps to where our people can get on them and lean their face down before God and pray to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we keep this altar vacuumed real good. So you can just bury your nose up in it. But let me ask you this. When is the last time you knelt at this altar and you didn't pray for anybody else, but you just said, God, tonight, I surrender all. 
I surrender all. And from now on, you've planted me here. There won't be a sermon run me off. There won't be a deacon run me off. There won't be a song leader run me off. There won't be a choir run me off. There won't be some gossip in the hallway run me off. No, sir. I die to myself. And I'm going to live for you right here in this place. When's the last time you've done that? 